The Nasdaq closed at the highest of the year on Friday with the 20% plus move off the October lows. To many, that constitutes a bull market. S&P 500 not quite there, but still pretty darn strong. Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research with us this morning. Uh, Jim, does the stock market suggest we have moved past the bank scare? You would think it does, does, but we've seen this with the stock market before. It rallied nice for two weeks after Lehman. It rallied nice for a month after we learned the word COVID. You know, it does this and then it changes its mind later on. So for the moment, the stock market doesn't see a problem. I wish the bank stocks would agree with them because they can't get off the floor. The bond market doesn't seem to agree with it because rates are still way down from where they were a month ago, but you know, the S&P is in its own world right now, largely driven by eight stocks. The eight FANG stocks in Microsoft, Nvidia, and Tesla, that's your whole gain in the S&P in the first quarter. The other 492 were collectively down. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Um, the concentration game still very much alive in our stock market. How much of that uh, skew towards tech and the overall resilience uh, when you do take that market cap weighted basis is dependent on uh, Fed cuts that are now assumed to be in the market, Jim? I, I think a lot of it because what the tech stocks are and use a fancy term is they're long duration stocks. They don't make enough. They don't make much money now, but they're expected in many years to make a lot of money. That's a growth stock. I just described a growth stock. So therefore, when you discount future cash flows back to the present, higher interest rates hurt them a lot. Lower interest rates help them a lot. So when rates fell, the initial response to those stocks was not why did rates fall? They just fell and they rallied, especially you know, stocks like Tesla and Meta and some of the other ones that had just spectacular gains in the first quarter. So uh, can this market um, have that uh, kind of logic make sense? Uh, if, what, if what you're saying is that the bank situation might linger, there might still be some skeletons in the closet. Um, does that then though fit with, I guess, what the market is saying that the Fed's gonna have to cut? Could we get a world where uh, there is a major structural issue and uh, a couple big tech companies act as hideouts, uh, or does that make sense? And we've kind of seen this before. Uh, does it really, really work when push comes to shove? No, it doesn't. And let me be clear on what uh, we've been talking about here. <clears throat> the skeletons in the closet are, yeah. we're gonna make the assumption that investors act rationally and that they do what's in their best interest. And that is they look at the cash in their bank account earning zero and they say, you know what, I'm going to move this to a money market fund and earn five. Look, if they don't do that, then we don't even need to talk about stocks. If they're going to give away all of that potential gain by just not moving their cash to something higher yielding, then they're not acting rationally to begin with. That is the deposit outflow that is going to keep banks under pressure until they raise their deposit rates, which kills their profitability or maybe the Fed cuts rates. Well, the Fed's not gonna cut rates until they see signs, tangible, real signs, that the economy is slowing. I don't mean it might, or that it looks like it could, I mean that it already has. So that's why you had Fed Governor Susan Collins out on Friday saying that they're probably gonna raise rates again in May, which is gonna further pressure the banks because now we're talking about you know money market funds going solidly over 5%, as opposed to, 
0.01 is what you would get if you kept your money in a Chase account right now. Five minutes on your phone to pick up 500 basis points. I, I mean, I almost want to question why everybody is not doing that right now. <laughs> Didn't we kind of uh, hear this as a talking point over and over again about the end of the Tina trade, that people would be able to actually seek yield elsewhere? I mean, I guess is this telling us that nobody really did that from like a, an everyday investor perspective? Well, or also for like, uh, you know, uh, corporate deposits as well, though, too, for like small business money and stuff. I, did nobody get the message despite how much we talked about the end of the Tina trade? It feels like it's all we thought about here in, you know, the financial Twitterverse and media world, but I guess nobody was actually doing that. They were still not taking any alternative. Well, maybe some court told us we had to delete those tweets uh, to go to your previous segment. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but uh, um, what really did happen was once rates crossed above 4% around Thanksgiving, money did start to move out of the banks. And I think that that's where the pressure came. And what we found in March was the weakest of the banks. They all start with the letter S, Silvergate, S Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature <coughs> all failed. And then the knock-on effect was overseas with Credit Suisse. And, but I do think that it started around Thanksgiving and that the flows out of banks towards anything with a yield, whether it's a short-term ETF, it's a FinTech, it's a treasury bill, it's a money market fund, all of the above has been underway now for several months. And like I said, until the banks respond and Chase is still offering me one basis point on my savings account, and so they're not, I don't see any reason for it to stop, so the pressure will continue to be on deposits, and that will lead to a slowdown in lending eventually. Mm, okay, so um, the credit tightening that's expected to come from this uh, should then soften up the economy in some way, but uh, may have a little bit of a lagged effect. What if in the meantime, uh, our employment data this week comes in strong? How do you think we're defining that right now? And uh, how sensitive do you think the market will be ultimately to employment, but everything this week here, Jim, that uh, we know has kind of been the backbone of the Fed's comfort in hiking. So if uh, the bank situation doesn't flare up again, like overnight, or as these data points come out, uh, could these numbers lock in uh, uh, the Fed and maybe get some hawkish vibes back? Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, as far as the banking real quick, what I'm describing is a slow bleed, okay. <clears throat> not, a hem not a hemorrhage, but that slow bleed will eventually force banks to have to pull back on lending, but that's not gonna happen, you know, this week or next week, but it's coming unless we close that gap. But as far as the employment report goes, keep in mind that for the last 11 straight months, we've beaten the consensus, the consensus is 240,000 this month, and that is the longest streak ever that we've seen that we've beaten the consensus. If we do it again, um, you know, on Friday for the March report, uh, that will probably lock in the Fed, or at least in the Fed's mind, that they're going to go another 25 in May, unless something intervenes, like you know, financial tightening, which is code word for a much lower stock market or something like that. So, yeah, the employment report is going to be very, very important. It's 240 is your bogey. And remember, 11 straight months in a row, a record, we have beaten that number. So let's see how we play this one out on Friday. I guess I'll go with another beat. There's no reason for me to think that this one's sure. going to be different. Yeah, understood. Um, okay, hey, Jim, uh, one of my favorite things I'm looking at right now is 
the gold versus Bitcoin chart. One's at three-year highs, gold. One is at a very important uh, year-to-date and six-month level Bitcoin at 30K. Uh, my kind of framework I've been using is if Bitcoin breaks out, it's a big risk-on move. If gold does, it could mean one of several things, but probably nothing great for us economically. Any thoughts on the interplay between <clears throat> these two and what regimes each might represent if they break out? Yeah, so what's happened with Bitcoin over the last two or three or four months is it's actually broken somewhat its correlation with risk assets. Uh, it's a lot less correlated than we've seen in a while. So that's been good because if you believe that digital assets, cryptocurrencies can become some kind of a future financial system, I think they gotta start acting like an independent financial system. And they're starting to show signs of that at the same time that gold, which is the old world, the old school independent financial system, is also breaking out. So if you look at the two together, uh, maybe what they're telling us is the alternative to the traditional financial system is starting to catch a bid, whether it's the old world in gold or the new world in cryptocurrencies. And they're not just a reaction to whatever the triple Qs are doing, you know, the old line with Bitcoin was, it's just a levered version of the triple Qs. Yeah, that correlation is sort of there. I mean, it isn't gone completely, but it's a lot weaker now than we've seen, say, in the last year or two, um, over the last you know month or two in the correlation between the triple Qs and Bitcoin. Got it. Okay. So looking for that to continue to break, agree, as uh, the uh, weaker it gets, the more interesting it gets, for sure. We got that year-to-day high in the queues, though, so it's got to keep breaking a little bit more. I uh, appreciate it, Jim. Always a uh, pleasure getting your thoughts. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Jim Bianco, president at Bianco Research. All right, looking for some uh, tightening still in the credit markets as a slow bleed fallout from the banks and a market likely to be unhappy with its rate cut expectations if jobs stick with the momentum they've shown. Thanks, Jim, for the start this week.